Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. It's it's a bit of a mixed message. I mean, we can't really have our students clean up their act if the people that they are looking to as as role models are are not doing that because they do learn from from what they see. Amanda Nickerson, PhD, is a professor and director of the Alberti Center for Bullying Abuse Prevention at the University of Buffalo. Um, oftentimes, we'll turn to social media to see. Uh, what the individual that we're that we may be suspecting in, in a crime has done. Uh, if we have, for instance, someone who commits a theft at the, one of the pools, and we track them back to a vehicle, we then get their vehicle and we get a license plate number, and then we're able to identify the the driver of that vehicle. Kelly Klatt, CPP, is the area director of safety and security for a major hotel chain in the Orlando, Florida area. All that and more on this month's edition. Of security management highlights. Dr. Amanda Nickerson, welcome to Security Management Highlights. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. And uh, I'm very pleased to be speaking about this subject. Uh, we're going to talk about bullying, a growing problem, but in one sense, a more defined problem. So I think there's more hope for this issue. I was, I was bullied ruthlessly as a child, and I got picked on all the time. So I get this. Uh, but let's define this for our listeners today. What is what is the definition of a bullying today? Bullying is unwanted, aggressive behavior that can be verbal, physical, in the cyber world, or relational, that involves a power imbalance. So the person doing the bullying has more power and uses that against someone and that power can come from uh, social status, um, physical size, having more money, uh, being in a racial or ethnic majority group. And bullying tends to happen over and over again, as opposed to being just a one-time event. So it's usually repeated. So when we study workplace violence, uh, I've always been a proponent that, that bullying is a form of violence. And people say it's aggression, right? But I think mm-hmm. it's at the bottom scale of violence. It's the start of it. It's on the pathway. You can you can quickly turn somebody that's being bullied, perhaps into somebody that's violent, reacting to it. Yeah, you can, certainly can. I mean, bullying is a form of aggressive behavior, which falls under the larger umbrella of violence. And we do know that some people that are bullied, one of the the reactions to that or impacts could be that they continue that cycle of violence against someone else. We also know that there's other impacts that it could have, that they could have more anxiety or depression or avoidance of certain situations. So that's probably a more likely outcome than, you know, them themselves perpetrating this violence, but it's certainly possible and and has happened. So, let me understand. It, it's not dissimilar to uh, somebody that's possibly abused as a child. They become abusers. We know this happens. So bullying, people that are bullied could become people that bully themselves. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned abuse. Uh, the center that I direct is actually called the Alberti Center for Bullying Abuse Prevention. And that's because our benefactor really noticed that that bullying has a lot of the same qualities as other forms of abuse that we talk about. And she contends that we don't talk about it like that and that we really should because there's so many of the same contributors to it, outcomes of it, including that cycle of abuse and that it needs to be elevated to the same level as some of these other forms of abuse that we talk about. 
Well, I agree 100%. Uh, look at some stats here. Approximately 20% of U.S. students ages 12 to 18 report being bullied at school. That's, uh, that's a pretty high percentage, much higher than I would have expected. Yes, it, it definitely is. Um, I would say that some good news in that is that our national statistics are showing that it is decreasing slowly but surely over time. So if you looked at those statistics from 2009 and 2011, it was more like 28% reported being um victimized by bullying. And in the last couple of years, we've seen a more like 20%, but it's unacceptably high still at that at that level. And we have more female students report uh, cyberbullying than male. And in general, more female than male students report traditional bullying. And is this, is this female on female bullying, uh, usually on, on the female side? It really depends. It, it could be both. Um, we know that, that girls are reporting um, being victimized and involved in cyberbullying, like you said, more than boys, and that a lot of it does tend to be within girls and, and even within girls' friendship groups we're finding, which kind of makes it different than how we traditionally think about bullying. Um, but boys are certainly involved in it as well. So, and I think we tend to see more of the gender differences in terms of the cyberbullying. Um, it also depends what form of cyberbullying we're talking about. Girls tend to be more under different social media um, and those kinds of outlets, whereas when we look at things like gaming and cyberbullying, that would be more common for boys, typically. So back in the day, uh, old school, if there was bullying going on, uh, you know, your big brother came to school, maybe he spoke to the people about it, or maybe your parents showed up and talked to the other parents. And there was there was usually quick resolution to this. Uh, and I always found when I confronted a bully when I was a child, uh, some of them became my best friends. Mm. That doesn't seem to be what's going on nowadays. I think the social media has complicated things because it allows people to be anonymous, so to speak. Talk to us about the social media aspects. This is really a different game as far as bullying goes nowadays. Yeah, it's certainly the cyberbullying and the social media has added a complexity to bullying that I know for educators and parents is, is quite distressing and, and mind-boggling in a lot of ways. As you said, these are not the things that we had to deal with when we were growing up. So because it can be anonymous, because it can reach such a potential uh, large audience so quickly and sort of automatically be repeated, then that's part of the uh, the parts that make it so, so challenging. I would say, though, that most of the time it's not anonymous when it's cyberbullying. We do know that cyberbullying has a lot of overlap with other forms of bullying. So, you know, if someone's being bullied in the cyber world by someone at their school or, or somebody that they know, that that sort of carries over into the school environment. There are certainly cases where someone has um, assumed somebody else's identity or sent something and you can't trace who it's from. But I, I would say that that's more rare than just having that bullying happen 
spoken in the cyber world between people who know each other. Okay, we have an old school definition of bullying. I think everybody would agree to what that is. We have a new definition of bullying. Are we putting things into the bullying classification that might actually be something else? And let me give an example. If I am some teenager and I post naked pictures of my girlfriend on Instagram to humiliate her, I'm not looking at that as bullying. I'm looking at that as something beyond bullying, more violence in a way. I mean, that people have com- committed suicide over these sort of things. Yes. So you're differentiating bullying from other either crimes and or uh, interpersonal relationships uh, issues, which happens quite a bit. So I think on a more day-to-day basis, the one that I hear about a lot is that parents, for instance, may call something bullying that the school very much views as conflict. Um, So your example was definitely what I would consider a more severe kind of form of bullying that that could also have some overlap with bullying, but would really be, um, that would be child pornography and a, a cyber well, crime and, and, and could be coded as such. Could we also call it bullying? Well, perhaps if the, if the boy was, you know, purposefully trying to ruin the reputation of this. So, you know, it could be both. Um, another, like I said, that, that comes up a lot is conflict. So, A parent or a student might say, this child is bullying me, when in fact, it was a disagreement, an argument between two people of of equal status that then was called bullying. So I think it's really good that we have a lot more attention to bullying, but I think it's become a fairly overused term. So that has the unintended consequence of maybe making some of these more mild developmental kinds of issues into something that that people are paying too much attention to or maybe not dealing with in the right way. Or as your example says, we're using it to talk about things that really probably need to be treated even more seriously and or in a different way than we might cope with your more traditional bullying. Let's talk about some of the prevention responses that are happening nowadays. I read some interesting information that uh, one recommendation is that a student make sure they have a trusted teacher or person in the school Mm. they can reach out to, building these relationships with your administrators. We now have legislation in every state about bullying. And most of that legislation really talks about having requiring policy at the school level so that bullying and oftentimes harassment, they often are, are treated similarly, at least in the legislation, that those are clearly defined, that parents, students, and educators know what to do if they either observe it or see it reported. There's also corresponding uh, kind of regulations about if it is reported, what needs to happen. So really finding out separately from the alleged perpetrator and the alleged target, you know, what is it that happened? And then taking steps to to really deal with the situation, supporting that target, things like you're saying, making sure that they have a trusted adult, other peers that they can go to, um, that they're not kind of internalizing the message that this is their fault or that they should be blamed for this. But then just as importantly, working with that perpetrator and his or her family in making change. So yes, having consequences, but, you know, just suspending is not really going to do the trick. But how are we going to 
really educate that person and, and give them different skills and strategies to get at whatever it is they're trying to get at with doing the bullying. And we also are more and more drawing in the bystanders, the, the peers that see and hear what's happening and trying to empower them with strategies to make a difference. And that could range from actually intervening in the situation if they feel safe and it's comfortable or supporting that person who's been bullied, reporting it to an adult, you know, doing something to take action that, that doesn't show that they support it. Because really without an audience, the bullying is far less likely to happen. Well, as with most solutions in society, it seems like uh, changing the culture is really the first place to start. I just feel it's more difficult nowadays, and I think children are taking cues from adults. We look at social media nowadays. It's it's a hotbed of controversy and fighting and, and lashing out of people. Where would you say that, that the social media culture contributes to this? I, I, I just have a hunch that it it does. I think it, it helps escalate it. Yes. And I, I think your first point is that we're sending messages to children about, we're trying to, about being kind and what bullying is and not doing it. Yet they have to take the cue from the adults, from the people that they see in their environment. And so much of their environment is online and social media. Our images and interactions that are exactly what they we tell them not to do, then it's it's a bit of a mixed message. I mean, we can't really have our students clean up their act if the people that they are looking to as as role models are are not doing that because they do learn from from what they see. So I agree that's made it a lot more complicated. But remember behind social media are humans. So it's really our our actions and and what we're doing and what we're what we're typing in there and putting out there for people to see that I I really wish that we were being more thoughtful about that and always thinking is this something that if my, you know, young child or tween child saw this is this the kind of behavior that I'd be okay about them engaging in. And if not, well, maybe don't put it out there for for people to see. Dr. Amanda Nixon, PhD, speaking about bullying. Uh, the good news is, doctor, about uh, from what I've read, about half the time when someone intervenes, these things tend to stop. So there's there's good news on the horizon. Thank you so much for coming on yeah. Screen Match Magazine. This is a fascinating topic. And uh, let's continue it. Uh, maybe we'll do a longer show one day because this certainly is something that affects everybody in society. Well, thank you so much for your interest. Kelly, welcome to Security Imagine Highlights. How are you, my friend? Great, thank you. So tell me how your security force is impacted by social media. Well, you know, it, it's kind of a, a two-sided piece. One side of our use of social media is how our guests interact with the hotel oftentimes. You know, we, we send out guest comment cards. We ask for for information from our guests on how their stay was, and all that's done through social media, and we'll have them respond back to us in a positive way or a negative way on how their experience was. At times, it's also driven by the guests where they may make their own comments, positive or negative, about where what their stay was like or where they stayed or uh, whatever an incident they may have had uh, during their stay. So that side of it is, is kind of the typical social media experience that you would have in any business. Uh, everybody 
everybody wants to say something about your your restaurant or somebody wants to say something about your hardware store or somebody wants to say something about about their their car rental experience you know they always go to social media and they and they post it the the other side is we also use it as a tool from our side and that when we're doing our investigations in security um, oftentimes we'll turn to social media to see uh, what the individual that we're that we may be suspecting in, in a crime has done uh, if we have for instance someone who commits a theft at the, one of the pools and we track them back to a vehicle we then get their vehicle and we get a license plate number and then we're able to identify the, the driver of that vehicle we may then use social media to look at the different platforms out there to see if that individual um, first off we get a picture of him that matches with the picture we have and then what is he bragging about on social media? Oftentimes, uh, we've had working in the in our area that have hit numerous uh, hotels around the area, and we go to their site off of one person we find, and we see it's, it's basically a gang, and they're bragging about uh, what they've done. They also are oftentimes bragging about upcoming events, so we can plan for that sometimes. They might be stupid enough to talk about the next big party they have, and we know that prior to a party they steal cars, and so everyone beefs up their security at various hotels in the area, and so does the sheriff and the police department, knowing this might be happening. And so they'll put more people on at night for that. Um, the other thing is we've had some instances where social media was used in a, in a negative way in that we had individuals who want to create a YouTube channel. So, you know, they've been watching too many of these uh, punked shows and some of these shows where they go out and do stupid stunts, and they would perform stunts at some of our properties and film them and then post to social media so they can create a following. Uh, that gets our attention. We then track back the social media account, find the individuals, and through other sources we have and the vehicles that they use to create the stunts they were doing, found out who they were called their parents, had a discussion with their parents, and pretty soon we had everyone over here apologizing and taking down their, their social media sites because they were doing unauthorized things. I, I'll give you a, a taste of what it was. is Someone dressed as a lifeguard that matches our lifeguards and then pulling stupid stunts at the pool, blowing a whistle, falling in the water, um, almost landing on some guests, uh, telling people they had to get out of the pool. Those kind of stunts are funny to them but creates quite a safety problem for us because who who's the real lifeguard and is there a real emergency or not? And so we had to jump in and, and uh, isolate that those individuals as far as who were they and what were they doing. And then, um, again, through social media from our side, identifying them and then bringing them in to talk to. So it sounds to me like you're really, you're really using this as an investigative technique. Uh, and that's something I had not considered. Uh, bravo. Yeah, I think, you know, from our guest services side, they're very interested in social media and what people are saying and how they can get in there and change someone's impression if it was negative and help them to have a, a, a great experience and then to appreciate the people who are already having a great experience and talking about it. But, you know, oftentimes, as we find, usually only people who are upset comment on anything. You know, you go to any 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 type of website or anything, you look at the comment section and and it's 90% are bad comments. People who have a great time, have a great experience, enjoy the enjoy the product and anything they may have dealt with, generally don't don't write about it. It's the people who had a bad experience. So, our guest services side continues to work on resolving those issues, while we over on the security side have been using it for a couple of years now 
uh, as an investigative tool. You know, we we subscribe to all the platforms, you know, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, and we go through those. And and we even use it now when we're interviewing potential applicants for security positions. We ask them if they have a uh, social media um, uh, site that they that they frequent. You know, we might ask them, do you mind if we take a look at your Facebook account? And oftentimes we'll look at that in applicants and find some really maybe some troubling things that they're espousing to the public, and we think maybe that gives us a second chance to to ask them some questions in a follow-up interview because uh, you know everything now is 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 open and available to people, and if we're looking at it, other people are looking at it, and uh, we have to be careful with with what our selections are in personnel as well as and we use it again as we said before in our investigations to see if we can identify people. Um, who they are. I mean, we recently we had another case where there was an individual that we were looking for and we posted to social media and we didn't find that individual, but we had several people from area local high schools who then commented back to us as, hey, I know who that is. That guy was in my, my fourth period fourth period homeroom and, and yeah, he's he's been known to uh, be frequenting certain areas and, and then they would help us find individuals because, you know, it's making their school look bad. So it, it's kind of... Um, been a, a tool for us in many different layers. So let's talk about your internal challenges. Do you do you have to come up with new policies and procedures to help contain social media? Well, I mean, as far as our any staff being recorded, you know, we will tell uh, if if let's say a front desk agent is being recorded uh, by an irate uh, guest for some reason, the front desk agent may tell them, you know, I don't I don't wish to be recorded, which then gives us the opportunity through our social media representatives. We have an entire department that does nothing but public relations. They review social media. They, they make web entries for our, our hotels to, to put out new and interesting things that are occurring. But they also, if there's someone who is either denied access to a live video, uh, reports to us, and they'll find that video, and they'll ask it to be taken down. If someone writes... Uh, a story in social media where they name an individual. Uh, that's not something that um, we want to have happen. If you want to talk about, in general, a hotel and whether it was good or bad or ugly, then go ahead and talk about it. But if you start naming individuals, that gets to a privacy issue, and then we can uh, petition to those uh, those platforms and have those kinds of entries either adjusted, altered, or removed completely. Um, Sometimes they write back to people and tell them that they have to remove it. Other times, you know, the, the, the platform will remove it on their own if it's, if it's offensive enough. Are there any new legal challenges emerging? You know, I mean, if someone told us that their image was restricted and we would, we, I mean, from our end, anything, if a guest or, or if anyone from the public ever had a comment about something we posted, of course, we never post anything uh, that would be, unauthorized as far as someone's image. Everything that we're posting from our end is going to be usually done through actors, uh, people who've signed releases already, and, and those are all kind of set pieces where they, they might show a pool with people in it. Well, that's going to be everybody who's in the shot that's identifiable um, has to have already had a release. When we do drone shots, you know, we, part of the, the rules with shooting on drones is you can't be, you know, uh, below a certain height over individuals who have not signed a release. Well, that means any shot you're going to take with a drone is going to be useless unless you're using people who have already approved it so you can you can see people actually doing something. So we do um, uh, adhere to any rules regarding uh, 
privacy in, in individuals. However, on the other side, people posting images or video uh, on social media uh, are a concern when there is a resistance to having that image shown by the person whose picture was taken. So uh, we have to step in and, and have our, our folks that, that work in that social media realm go in there and have those removed. When you have any time that something is, is filmed against, well, let's put it this way. If someone's filmed and they don't know about it and it gets posted and, and there's an objection raised, then um, we would ask that to be removed. If it's not raised, then oftentimes we aren't able to get it removed. And we've had instances where we've gone to the social media platform and said, hey, look, this is something that's uh, negative in nature. It's not approved by us. We don't want it uh, to be on. Uh, posted still, and they'll tell us, eh, uh, your complaint doesn't meet our criteria, and so it's going to stay. And so oftentimes there's not much we can do about it. It really gets down to if there is a uh, a specific individual named, uh, then you can get that removed. But kind of general in nature, images and information is hard to get removed. And I'll say the only way you get some of these things removed is you just have to add additional positive information to where it gets pushed further and further and further down uh, on the list and doesn't doesn't show. And uh, sometimes that's the only remedy to some of these things. Yeah, so from an investigation point of view, it really seems like social media is benefiting security oh, departments absolutely. with it. Yes, from, uh, from an investigative point of view, social media helps us a lot. I mean, uh, through our investigations team, we're able to um, identify uh confirm individuals that we're investigating and then be able to provide that information in a, in a, a complete package to the police department for eventual uh, search warrant issuance or a warrant for arrest based upon having all the information we have, which is, you know, we have a person, we have a crime, we have a vehicle, we have identified um, who that individual is, where they live, and you know, who the vehicle belongs to, and that here's pictures of them on social media, you know, showing off the things they stole or talking about the things they stole or they, or how they defrauded us because we're also dealing with credit card fraud and other uh, hospitality fraud issues other than theft that we have to follow up on and, and see if we can track down the individual and then turn it over to the police department. And by doing so, we're guaranteed more of a complete um, package that includes then the prosecution of that individual and then restitution in the end. Mr. Kelly, fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you so much for coming on Security Management Highlights. And uh, I hope to continue this conversation one day. And I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to look up where you manage and make it a point to stay at your facilities. Because it sounds like you really have things well in hand. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on another version of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, Chuck Harold. See you next month.